0: Hello and welcome to the Leaders' Council podcast, the podcast for the people who run the country and the people who keep the country running. You join us on a bright day in a still rather deserted city of Westminster in these current times of COVID-19, as once again we put the topic of leadership under the spotlight. I'm Scott Challoner, and I'm joined on today's programme by Rebecca Hacker. Rebecca is the director and co-founder of Soap Creative, a creative design agency in Bristol which specialises in delivering branding, graphic design, marketing, and other services. She's also the commissioning editor of Farm and Country magazine, a publication about honest and earthly food and farming in the Southwest. Rebecca, very warm welcome to you and thank you ever so much for joining us on the programme today.
1: Hi Scott and thank you for the invitation.
0: It's um, an absolute pleasure having you and um, the purpose of this discussion really is to establish your take on leadership as a whole. So first and foremost, if we just take that word leader and look at that in isolation, what does that word really mean to you and how does it resonate?
1: Yeah, it's, um, it's interesting. It's, uh, someone I believe that, uh, can take people on, on a journey, um, excuse me, sharing a, a vision and, and, inspiring those around them to, to join them in sort of delivering that vision. Um, I think it's got to be a natural quality, uh, that, you know, that sort of someone will possess, um, someone that has that sort of innate quality that draws people to them and, And you know that that makes people naturally invested in them. So, yeah, I think um, I think that's that that's a start. Um, I don't necessarily either actually think that all leaders necessarily call themselves a leader. Um, As I say, I think it's just Mm. a sort of innate quality that people will sort of have that will you know encourage people to take them on that journey. Mm.
0: So you lean more towards the idea that leaders are born as opposed to being made in a way.
1: Yeah, I do. I mean, I think, you know, there's some sort of, you know, development, you know, certainly, but I think, you know, you you really do have to have a a quality that enables people to build trust and confidence Mm. uh, in you, and you have to be able to do that quite quickly. So there's certainly sort of training development that can go along with that, but I do think it is something that you are born with. Mm, I
0: can certainly see where you're coming from there I think there are certain characteristics such as the ability to captivate a room for example that certain yeah. self-motivation that drive and then essentially skills I think is um on the other hand is something that you can develop to essentially complement those qualities for sure um yeah if we also think um, about sort of your own leadership style uh, Rebecca in the context of um so creative perhaps also in the context of uh, farm and country as well how would you describe that
1: yeah i'd say that throughout my career when i've been in a position of sort of leading a team it's it's always been a collaborative approach you know i think um it's it's really important to sort of set out the expectations you know what's what's expected and then work with your team to sort of create a pathway you know how do we get there so if you start at the point of you know this is where we need to be how do we get there and you engage and in, 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 you know communicate with with your team, then you're creating a spirit of cooperation rather than having a dogmatic sort of style or approach. So I think that would be you know my style. I think if you ask my team, and I
0: think that sort of dogmatic, almost draconian style um approach is something that we are moving away from now, um, isn't it? I think, and we're yeah. seeing a real change in a much more collaborative form of leadership uh, coming in. Because what we yeah. need to be doing, um, I think, anyway, is to encourage people that. Making mistakes isn't a problem, Absolutely. Absolutely. I would say it's actually a critical learning experience. And without having the experience of trying new things, maybe suffering a setback or two, and then learning from that, we can't really hope to develop into effective leaders.
1: Absolutely, and I think it's you know it's really important you know if if, if you're uh, you know comfortable to say I actually don't have the answer to this you know and to, to accept that you know you don't always have the answers you know and that. You're looking to to you know to work with your people to say you know we may all come up with some different solutions. So you know what's the best way to you know that, that we can you know find the answers to achieve the best outcome. So I think that's really important.
0: I think that's exactly right, because even as leaders, we're not infallible and we don't Absolutely. have all the answers, yeah. do we? And yeah. I think that actually is something that's really been exposed in the context of the, uh, the mm. here and now as well, because there's so much uncertainty amid the, uh, the COVID-19 pandemic, no less. There's so much that we don't know about what the future holds. And so many people right. are looking to lead us for inspiration and for reassurance more than anything. And it's difficult yeah. to provide that sometimes when there's not really a lot of information.
1: Agreed. Agreed. I think, you know, if if, if people can see that the you know it, that, that we're comfortable saying we don't know um the answer to something, then it, it shows openness and it gives them the confidence to, to say also that they don't know, but to mm-hmm. to work to find solutions, you know, to find a way to do stuff.
0: For certain, and um, we've talked a lot about already your way of viewing leadership, uh, Rebecca, your leadership style yeah. as well. But what would you say have been some of the key influences and inspirations behind that style that have influenced you as you've developed through your career?
1: Okay, well, uh, interesting you say about draconian uh, draconian sort of you know styles, because early in my career I had some great um, you know people that really inspired me, and also some people that. that that, you know put the fear of god into me frankly but i think that was very much a sort of you know 1980s 90s sort of way of working um but there have been two people i think early on in my career um i was around about 23 and i was working for a production house um and we had i I sort of cut my teeth in the financial services market um working with some you know big sort of high street banks and i worked with a with woman called sarah and she was she was fantastic and she was really dynamic and vibrant personality. And she'd asked my line manager to release me to head up a project. And it was a big project and I was absolutely terrified. And I had this big question mark, you know, can I do this? And I felt it completely beyond me, but her selecting me, I had so much admiration for her and I was so inspired by her, um, that she really encouraged me to give it a go. And I didn't want to let her down. Um, and therefore, you know, I delivered it successfully and she was fantastic, but there was, one other chap who I worked with um, at the same company, actually, and he was he was a boss of mine for a period of time, and we had a really sort of challenging relationship, um, whereas, you know, I was quite young and, you know, always wanting to sort of be keen to impress and sort of, you know, sort of not work out really quickly. But I was a graphic artist back then, and, you know, he used to sort of send me back, you know, with a look, sort of, no, it's not good enough, go and do it again. Um and I used to sort of walk away with my towel between my legs thinking, oh gosh, you know, am I ever going to kind of, you know, meet this, this high expectation and the quality that is, you know, is is expected. But, you know, I did. Um, and now sort of, you know, it was only once I set up my own business, I realized how grateful I was for that because he really did inspire me to produce the best quality work that I absolutely could and to be the best that I could, that I could be. And it's, probably one of the real things that sets us apart now as a design agency. You know, design is such a subjective thing. Um, You know, what one person will will see as great design will be different, but most people recognize high-quality output and high-quality customer service, and that's exactly what I learned from him, and that's really one of the sort of, you know, the things that makes us stand out now in terms of our business. So I'm really proud of him, and uh, I'm proud of myself for that.
0: I think there are some um, interesting things to take away from uh, that example. Um, It's Mm. first and foremost the fact that we can learn a great deal from others. We're not lone wolves as leaders. We can look to other people for inspiration and for sort of aspects of leadership and um, sort of practical skills running businesses that we can take and apply to our own styles. But also people who may be use certain techniques that you think aren't that great or don't work you can learn from them as well and learn what you'd like to steer clear steer clear of so there's benefits to be had from sort of both sorts of people there isn't there in that sense yeah
1: absolutely
0: and if we actually think about younger generations um, now just for a moment so Rebecca if you based upon your business experience were to give some advice to somebody who was maybe about to start their first day in a leadership role what sort of advice would you give them
1: I think you have to you have to be you know bold and you have to be brave you know as, especially at the moment you know there are you know some pretty significant challenges that that we're facing and I think you know young people you know really do have to to, to have the confidence um, to you know to, to make some pretty bold decisions and to take risks um you know but also to listen to the people around you i think you you made a really important point there just now saying you know we can learn i think you know whilst you do have those inherent qualities you know and the desire to want to be a leader um and and to take people on on your your journey and to share your vision um you know you you also need to be able to listen so listen to the people around you um bringing good people um, you know, we don't have all the skills, as, as we've both agreed. We um, recognise where the gaps are, bring those people in and respect them and encourage them and make the most of them.
0: And if we do think about the future now, just for a moment, Rebecca, before we do wrap yeah. things up on the, uh, the programme today, yeah. um, what do you envision the next 12 months holds for yourself, for Soap Creative and for Farm and Country, and also what you hope to achieve, hopefully, as we move through COVID-19 and emerge from the pandemic and then really begin to look to the future?
1: Yeah, I mean we are we are in in testing times, and yeah. uh, I suspect um, I suspect many businesses. You know, from the soap creative perspective, you know, we work with clients to you know ensure that their vision and values and that their messaging is is reaching their target audience. You know, and I think because people's buy, you know, propensity to buy, the you know buying habits are changing and have changed and will continue to change. I think they're going to really need to look at how they whether their messaging is still uh, relevant. So we're going to be working with them to, to to see that you know if it's not, you know, how do we change that? Um, how do we assess you know what people's you know buying habits are now, and and how do we you know amend and adapt to their messaging to make sure that you know that we meet those changed habits and and um, perceptions. Uh, so, yeah, it's, it's challenging times ahead, you know, in terms of the sort of two most um, passionate industries that we work in, um, which is healthcare and um, care of the elderly, excuse me, and, you know, farming and agriculture both are um, in really interesting times. You know, there's, the challenges for the healthcare industry at the moment are, you know, nobody wants to put their loved one into, into a care setting. Um, you know they can they consider it you know too dangerous and yet you know those care settings have some of the best infection control practices and protocols in place so you know we need to be reinstating confidence back into people to you know to to get them to, to consider that again because the work that we had done thus far was really positive and we were starting to promote the actual great work that goes on in care homes and the fulfilling quality of life that people have. So, you know, we're going to be working with organizations to, to, to you know, spread that positive messaging. Um, and in terms of farming and agriculture, you know, we had a very disconnected industry. We had, you know, farmers producing great food at extremely high quality and standards and yet a totally disconnected um, consumer. Um, whereas, you know, this, dare I say, from a positive perspective, This, you know, this recent pandemic has been good in as much as people have started to recognize and value local produce because they've had to um, and they've really seen the good work that farming does. So we'll be looking to work um, with, you know, the farming and agri industry to, you know, hopefully continue that and work with the organizations within the industry to be better at sharing positive messaging.
0: Sounds like there's plenty of work um, on the horizon uh, for sure, uh, there, Rebecca, and a lot of exciting yeah. stuff to look forward to. And I think once we begin to understand as well exactly what this new normal way of doing things is going to look like in the next few months, I think it would be great to even have you back on the program from a listeners' perspective, just to catch up on how things are getting on, just because of how informative yeah. it's been today.
1: Yeah, no that 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 would be great. I hope, um, you know, I hope, uh, I hope we can we can do that again too.
0: I think it would be wonderful, um, not just, of course, for myself, but also for the listeners as well, as I say there. Thank and you, um, and And like I say, it's been an absolute pleasure um, having you on the, uh, the programme today, Rebecca. It's a shame we're just about out of time. Otherwise, I'm sure we could discuss the topic Indeed. all afternoon.
1: Indeed, yeah. For
0: sure. Um, but um, do take care and uh, do stay safe in the meantime with everything still going on, because we aren't out of the woods with this yet. And thank you ever so much for taking the time Indeed. to join us. Yeah,
1: thanks for your time, Scott. Take care
0: that was rebecca hacker speaking the commissioning editor of farm and country magazine and of course director and co-founder of soap creative coming up next on the program today i'll be handing over to jonathan white for his exclusive interview with liz field liz is the chief executive of the personal investment management and financial advice association the trade body for firms who provide those services to both individuals and families i hope you enjoy listening just as much as jonathan enjoyed speaking with liz and that's coming up next
2: I'm Jonathan White, and we're joined today by Liz Field, CEO of PIMFA, Personal Investment Management and Financial Advice Association. What a great mouthful. Liz, thank you very much for coming on today.
3: No, thank you for inviting me.
2: No, not a problem. A complete pleasure. And I think uh, it would be a great place to start, if we may, is maybe a little bit of background uh, for the listeners. Obviously, PIMFA does work in uh, uh, across the board these days but of course it was only founded uh, uh, three years ago and of course MAPFA um, um, and uh, the WMA were merged.
3: That's right, yes. Um, I think it really was a, a reflection of of where the industry was going in terms of uh, the provision of financial advice and helping individuals with their um, personal financial futures. That. We felt that it was necessary for the two bodies to merge together, um, but both well certainly the Wealth Management Association and its predecessors have been around for nine well nearly thirty years yes. now actually. But you're quite right. Um, as PIMFA, it's it's been nearly three years now,
2: and the uh, probably a very wise move because uh, the the uh, uh, pimfa has been going from strength to strength uh, since uh what would you say at the moment uh, is are, are the priorities uh, for yourselves there
3: um i think there are a number of priorities i mean we represent a diverse group of um of businesses which all have one thing in common which is that they face the clients they they face the consumer um so whether that is face to face or whether that is um online it's all about helping individuals to plan and save and invest um, for themselves and for their families. Uh, but we're going through uh, a number of of key challenges. I mean, um, looking at a, a a macro level, if you like, um, markets are a little turbulent. Um, it's it's very challenging um, to. Um, Kind of navigate the the uh, investment management world, so uh, even more reason why you need a financial advisor and, uh, yes. and an investment management firm to help you um, because it is quite a complex arena, and that's not helped by the lack of financial education uh, more generally so um if you have that as a backdrop uh and then politically you have what's going on um with post brexit uh and where the rules are going to come from in future. All of that is still to be negotiated, um, so it, it's a whole melting pot of issues that uh, that our firms are trying to face.
2: Oh, without a doubt, I think uh, maybe Liz, there's quite a few understatements there in terms of the challenges that are yes. occurring <laughs> at the moment. But there's quite a lot to pick up uh, uh, on the on those points because uh, I, I think it's 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 a it's a unique time almost, Liz, isn't it, where there are a different set of challenges that advisors and individuals are uh, being confronted with from a lot of different angles. Um, and perhaps if we can start, let's start at the beginning, in fact, you bring up the issue of financial education. Yeah. Now, that's something I think uh, you can talk to anybody in the business and they'd agree with you on that front, Liz. We don't do it properly in this country. Where no. do you think, Liz, it should start from and how do we fix it?
3: Okay, so I think – I mean, the first thing to say is that there's a lot of fantastic effort that we see across the whole of the financial services sector, uh, our sector um, amongst that, where they they try and go into schools – um, and provide financial education. You go onto any website um of some of our members and they've got some great educational material. Um, but there isn't a national framework that 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 wraps itself around the whole of the financial education efforts within our industry. And without that, um I think there there the, the businesses are facing a lot of, um, barriers when it comes to actually getting into schools. Um, I mean, financial education is part of the, um, per, I think it's personal health and social education, um, uh, piece of the curriculum, but there isn't an exam, um, that's at the end of it. So when it comes to schools and, and how they're being judged, it's on metrics such as um, exams and without an exam for financial education, um, I think, uh, it's, go- it's just, it's just going to keep coming up against the same barriers. Mm. Um, and financial education is not the same as maths. So uh, what we'd also mm. quite like to see is, is that we have more, um, kind of money type questions within the maths curriculum because that will also then bring it to life uh for young people for uh, youngsters and you know school kids it will bring it to life because it's about things that they have to deal with or you know that they they deal with on a day-to-day basis which is money so the more that we have that is populated in the curriculum that is about money um the better i think because then we'll start to promote a culture of of savings and investments which we so badly need in our in 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 our um in our country
2: without a doubt is because again you've hit the nail on the head because there's only so much that can be done without the involvement of the curriculum in schools yeah. Uh, and you know, you can, as you pointed out, very well. Uh, it, it, companies can try all they all they might, but it, it's difficult if it's not a, a joint effort. Uh, yeah. And I think, as um, uh, it, for example, uh, with with the new government, we have there have already been positive noises at the very least. Whether they become actions is another <laughs> thing entirely. Regarding what you could consider a for a, a, a far more applied mathematics in a lot of uh, the system, but t- time will tell. And that's something I think we could probably dedicate in the next hour to, Liz. Yes, but I we, think you're <laughs> right. We probably <laughs> shouldn't. Um, now, looking at and a couple of the points to pick up that you've already raised here, Liz, uh, and it goes back to the word you've already said, which is uncertainty. Uh, it, it seemed as if the markets, investors, people, we've been in a state of limbo for the last three and a half years uh we're talking of course 3 months after 2 months after uh, a general election that resulted in a, a large majority for the conservative party and therefore at least we have now uh left the european union without without dragging you down the political rabbit hole here at uh, least is there a hope now that because of that clarity we may start to see a far more far more certainty in the market and what are your hopes for the next 12 months
3: um i think i think that, that we've still got a little way to go because um whilst you know 31st of january came and went um you know we're now we're now in a negotiation period we're now in a transition period mm-hmm. um and for for uk um, savers and, uh, and investors, uh, in terms of where the rules are made, there's still, there's still not some clarity about that. Um, you know, we're, we're still, uh, uh, well, we don't know yet whether we're still tied, um, or will be tied to the, um, European rulemaking, um, down the line. That's still to be negotiated. I mean, we've always said that actually for, for savers and investors, we need stability in the markets and we need access to funds um however it, you know the, the majority of our of our firms look after uk savers um and therefore a, one of the positives we see is the ability to have a a rule book that makes sense for UK savers and investors and UK firms. Um, so there's an. We think that there's an opportunity there with definitely without um, watering down regulation. So we're definitely not talking about less regulation. Yes. What we're talking about is smarter mm. regulation, which makes sense for firms and makes sense for clients. Um, and as we've got a very unique industry in terms of savings and investments, um, um in, Euro- in Europe, England or U- the UK rather and, and Ireland are unique amongst our European counterparties. So when you have a European rulebook or a rule book that is set in Europe that doesn't bear any relation to the model, of intermediation that we have here, that has caused us problems in the past, and we're hoping that we will be able to affect that in the future, with a local regulator and a local rule and a local rule maker, but we will see. That is still all part of the of the melting pot. So, whilst I'd like to be posit- positive and, and optimistic about the market, <laughs> <laughs> um, we've still got this period um, of uh, of negotiation, and uh, until we see where we go to with that. Uh, and, of course, you've got financial services and fisheries amongst it's the really same piece, really you know. <laughs> famous
2: business aren't they?
3: Indeed. I mean. Absolutely. Um, absolutely. So we've still got to wait and see, I think.
2: It, absolutely. Um, and it will be an uh, interesting year, if nothing else. Um, yes. uh, now, you have you, you mentioned there, uh, at least, uh, the role of, uh, of course, regulators. I know uh, in the last month or so, obviously, uh, Pimfer has... Uh, given its fair amount of critique to um, the FCA, um, are they at the moment doing their job correctly?
3: Um, I think part. I th- I don't envy the regulator one iota. Um, uh, I think if you look at the the number of people that they have in the supervisory team and the number of firms that they have to regulate, um, it, it, uh, it is not an enviable job um, by any stretch of the imagination. Yes, we have been critical, not least of all because we are expecting um, better supervision to prevent firms from failing and certainly to prevent firms from failing in the spectacular way that they have uh, in the last few years, which has impacted on the size of the financial services compensation scheme levy. And this levy is paid for by by firms within the industry. And our firms are a majority of small to medium-sized firms, and their bills have gone up exponentially. our criticism is that you know we we don 't object to having an FSCS levy um, or you know the lifeboat yes. funds to pay you know recompense to to consumers uh, and, and our view is, has always been that the polluter pays, but the polluters have have long since folded mm-hmm. by the time mm-hmm. it comes to any payment, which means that good firms. Are paying for bad firms, so the system we believe is broken, um, and and I think that is about the regulatory perimeter. Um, you know what is it that the that the lifeboat fund should be protecting? The perimeter is too big, so that you know what is the nature of risk that all needs to be um, uh, redefined. We believe and recalibrated, which then enables you to determine. Well, if that's what risk is, then how do we protect it, and how do we levy for it? Mm-hmm. um and that is all linked to better supervision. so that is something we have been critical about. um we're in the process of finalising a paper uh, which we um which we have positioned in a constructive manner, which is these are some of the things that we believe. FCA, you should be looking at in your supervisory process, and we want to help you to do your job better.
2: Now, I I know there's no such thing as a a magic wand, Liz, and perhaps it'll be putting you on the spot. <laughs> but if let's imagine, let's let's imagine you did have one just for the just for this afternoon, perhaps, and you were able to change one thing about that uh, system. And perhaps I shouldn't ask this because if your report isn't out yet, you might to want to reveal something that's in it. Um, but if you could. <laughs> Um, what would be your number one priority?
3: If we, if we were to, if I, were, my number one priority to to solve the system in terms of reform.
2: In terms of reform, mm. what regulatory yeah, reform yes. you mean?
3: Um, I think. Oh goodness me! The one thing. Um, it is a bit of a mean I, question. Uh, it <laughs> is. Gosh. Yes. Wow. Um, I, I think it's about the regulatory primi- perimeter. Oh. Um, I, I think let's have a look at the regulatory perimeter. Um, which is you know, gives some certainty to to clients about what is protected and what is not protected, which also then gives some assurity both to them and also to the advisors who have to advise those clients on what what's the pathway to success for them and what and and I think if there's some clarity around all of that, then everybody will be will be better off.
2: Great. Now uh, b- I'm conscious of the time here, Liz. It's already catching up with us. So perhaps if we can take a a, a little step back and uh, a, and look at um uh, the operations of Pimfer again, it's what PINFRE do it does so well is its ability to build relationships with so many uh different uh organisations. C- can that really, Liz, be underestimated? The importance of Having those working relationships with with the departments and the organisations that you do have.
3: No, I don't. I, I think it's absolutely fundamental um, to any business, actually. Mm. But it's certainly something that that we have in the middle of the stick of rock that is Pimfer. Uh, I mean, we talk about that. You know, the values that we have as an organisation. We we are a small organisation. Uh, And we can't do our job unless we work in partnership and collaboration with others. So relationship building um, and maintaining and creating a good foundation of relationships is absolutely fundamental to what we do.
2: Without a doubt. And I think that's the key point, Liz, isn't it, that that's so applicable to any realm, whether it's business or or politics or uh, any areas of life. And I think because of the time here, we we I, I must start to wrap up but um perhaps i can ask liz looking forward and i know the next four months is full of uncertainty what are uh, the plans PIMFA has for it nonetheless
3: um so i think our well our key priority this this next 12 months is 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 to be talking um much more um and we we, we have been lobbying um, a fair bit on this, but because of Brexit, um, our ability to actually kind of get into, um, see the policymakers on both sides, I think to have that dialogue has been a challenge. Um, but we're finding that that is changing. That you know they they want to hear from us. So I think our priority is around that regulatory perimeter. Um, and what does, what does regulation look like for, uh, for us moving forward? But at the same time, it's not just about the future of regulation, but it's also about the future of supervision, because the two of those go hand in hand. Um, so those, those two, um, are kind of what are, are the main the main areas over the course of this next year. Having said that, um, you know we have a manifesto that's got six, that's got six pillars in it, um, and regulation and supervision and the future of that is is just kind um, of is just one of those things. There are a whole host of others of other things promoting the sector. As a as a force for good and as an integral part of a of an individual's kit bag um, for financial and mental well being uh, is is another key strand of of activity. So I think future regulation, future supervision, and then promoting the sector as an integral part of uh, of um, everybody's kit bag in building their personal financial futures.
2: Well, Liz, there might never be a, a more important year. Uh, has not been in a while that will determine the future of all of those things and perhaps never a year where so many people pay attention to what happens to Britain's fish stocks Um, but it's been (laughs) an absolute pleasure discussing that uh, leadership with you today Uh, I hope very much we can sit down perhaps later this year uh, when there's a bit more clarity perhaps and talk through a few more things
3: Thank you, I would love to do that Thank you very much Thank you